Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimez. And I'm Daniel Lemgear. And on today's topic, we are featuring renowned astronomer David mm -hmm. Block. Yeah, he's been a visiting scholar with us this yeah. week. He's done a lot of uh, staff talks and YouTube mm -hmm. videos and everything. And yeah. so I'm excited to have him on for this episode. Yeah, I'm going to mm -hmm. call it the Block Block. The Block Block. The Block It's block. time to block out for David Block. <laughs> <laughs> in Everyday Apologetics, we'll hear from Hugh Ross and David Block as they discuss something called dramatically open systems in the universe. I know. I can't wait to hear what that is all about. I know. In Science Faith Connection, Jeff Zorink will connect with David Block on being a Christian in academia. So a really good conversation to yeah. see how he's done so well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. First up will be Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing David Block on his book, God and Galileo. So let's go ahead and check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk, where we talk about culturally relevant topics you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with astronomer David Block. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a great and a singular joy and honor and pleasure, Sandra. Well, we're going to be talking about your fantastic book, God in Galileo. Oh, yes, one of my favorite topics. Yeah, you know, it's been a popular book oh, among our viewership, so yes. we're happy to yes. kind of unpack it. Yes. So for those who are unfamiliar, yes. your book explores the relationship between contemporary science Correct. and the Christian faith. Correct. Correct. And during Galileo's day, when he made the bold claim that the earth... Um, moves. That, yes, that the earth moves. moves. The, the bodies around it do not orbit Earth, right, but Earth right, orbits the sun. Right, right. And that, of course, directly contradicted the Pope and the church and the mm -hmm, thinking of that mm -hmm, time. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain what has been the impact of what, what Galileo claimed and how that has affected the church mm -hmm. and their view of science? The trial of Galileo Galilei mm -hmm. marked the great divorce between the sciences mm -hmm. and scripture. Yeah. Up to that point, Galileo tried his level best, Sandra, mm -hmm. to try and show that there was a harmony between his observations, for example, the moons orbiting Jupiter and so mm -hmm. forth, and the book of scripture. Mm -hmm. The viewpoint was as follows. The Pope, Urban VIII, and the Cardinals, and the entire Church of Rome, essentially, back to what we call a geocentric universe. Everything goes round the Earth. And Galileo said, no, 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 no. Based on his work and the work of Copernicus, mm -hmm. everything goes round the Sun. And, of course, this led to a famous trial in 1633, and that caused, I would say, one of the greatest divorces of all time. Today, people say to me, Professor Block, there's no point in reading the book of Scripture at all because it's irrelevant. We put the Bible on the, on the shelves and let dust collect. It's only the book of nature. It's only the world of astronomy and the stars and so on that counts and physics and geophysics and so on. But there's a great divorce, and I trace that directly back to the trial of Galileo Galilei, who himself tried so hard to show that there's a beautiful harmony. And the take-home lesson for me is that I like to tell people around the world that we need binocular vision, not monocular vision. In other words, there are two books. Galileo is very strong on this point. There's the book of nature, which includes using the telescope and observations through the telescope and thus forth. And then there's the book of scripture. And you need two feet to walk. 
you as you know as a dancer would know you need two feet yeah. right to dance and that's the point of the the whole divorce the whole debate was is there a harmony between the book of scripture and the book of nature and as an astronomer and as someone who studied general relativity and much besides i'm happy to report that there's a most glorious harmony but not everybody agrees with me at yeah, at the current epoch because they see the great divorce Oh, completely. And so your book also unpacks that. You talk about this great divorce, this separation mm. of science and the Christian mm. faith. And then you talk also about scientism. Mm. Can, oh, you, yes. can you explain scientism oh, yes. and how we see that play out today yes, in contemporary that's, that's, science? That's such a lovely question. Mm -hmm. Scientism mm -hmm. is our greatest enemy. Not science, but scientism. What is scientism? Put very briefly, scientism is science, but under the mantle of atheism. Mm. Science with an injection of atheism. You see, when I was raised up as a scientist, philosophy really never entered into the science in terms of trying to expunge God or not. But now on the scene, we've got people like Stephen Hawking, Richard Dawkins, and many others, mm -hmm. who are intent on expunging God from their science. Mm. So they take their atheism, they take their science, they give it a good mix, and we now know that is called scientism. Mm -hmm. Science is very neutral, you know. Science never expunges God whatsoever. Never, never. Not everybody sees that the heavens declare the glory of God, but science never expunges God. So the agenda of scientism is a very, very direct assault on God's, on the glory of God, on the existence of God, the revelation of God, and so on. And the public eat this up, taste it, and drink it, you know, like hook, line, and sinker because they just believe these are great scientists and they're preaching a new gospel, if you like. Mm. There is no God, yeah. they say. Well, how is the, how would, how would you expect to see this harmony between the book of nature then and the book of, well, God's, God's mm -hmm. book? Mm -hmm. I'd answer your question this way. Mm -hmm. this, I would say there's the truth of nature and the nature of truth. The truth of nature is the search mm -hmm. in astronomy, in chemistry, in biochemistry, and so forth. We call it the book. Galileo called it the book of nature. The book of scripture can only really be, be, be received in our hearts by grace. Mm -hmm. And so there's the truth of nature, and then there's the nature of truth. The nature of truth includes two books. It includes the book of nature, but the nature of truth also includes the book of scripture because I know as a Jew that I'm a spiritual being mm -hmm. and I needed to be born again. Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3:16, you must be born again. And so there's a very distinct and important difference which many multitudes miss, the difference between the truth of nature and the nature of truth. That requires grace. You know, Sandra, in John chapter 1, behold the Lamb of God, you know, taketh away the sin of the world and so on, but filled with grace and truth. Truth and grace. Truth 
and grace. Again, binocular vision is needed. Um, for anyone who is a person of faith mm. and they are interested in science, they're mm. science-minded, mm. or because we have a lot of you know parents, grandparents who watch and they have kids or grandchildren who are interested in science and they're not sure how to engage with mm. them, what would you recommend to really kind of highlight the harmony between science and the Christian faith? And, tools that you would provide? I think the tools that I would recommend as a visiting scholar here in Los Angeles is are the multitudes of materials on the Reasons to Believe website because that's really the heart of the whole ministry you represent is that there's a wonderful harmony uh, between science and scripture. Of course, I've got many many, many interviews on YouTube. I've got a webpage, davidblock.co.za, and so forth. And I've written this book, God and Galileo, and you can just go to Amazon and get it through Amazon or through Reasons to Believe, in fact. But you need to answer the question, you must be armed with the correct material. You need to have highly trained experts in their fields, whether it be chemistry or perhaps me in astronomy and so on. Mm -hmm. uh, people who know what they, who trained. Right. You know, don't, you know, I always say this, if you've got a problem with your inner ear, mm -hmm. you don't go to the nursery and ask a plant expert or a bonsai expert mm -hmm. about the workings of the inner ear. The bonsai expert should, must stick to bonsai mm -hmm. and the ENT surgeon to his field of expertise. We must stick, and that was the point raised by Augustine, St. Augustine, whom we quote liberally in our book, is that don't speak nonsense mm -hmm. by, by speaking truths mm -hmm. which are absolute fake. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a key point here, Sandra, is we must listen, we must heed those voices mm -hmm. written by experts who are qualified in their domains. And that would assist greatly so in trying to uh, resolve the apparent great divorce between the two books. I really appreciate that. I think it's helpful for people to understand as we're exploring. There's a wealth of information, Absolutely. but also a wealth of misinformation. Absolutely. So looking for reputable sources in Absolutely. the correct field of theology, philosophy, and the sciences. Correct. So I really appreciate that. And I think that will hopefully help encourage some people Amen. to find that these tools. Amen. That is my prayer, Sandra. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to hear more from Dr. David Block, go to support.reasons.org and you can check out his fine book, God and Galileo. I love this little quote, which apparently comes from Abraham Lincoln. And he says, I see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist. But I cannot conceive how a man could look up into the heavens and say there is no God. I was just so touched by this, and I'd love your thoughts on that too, Hugh, as we well, wrap this up. Yeah, it tells us in Romans 1 that uh, God has revealed himself through his creation to every human being. I mean, not everybody might have a Bible in their possession, but we all have the book of nature and all we need to do is look up and we can see the vastness of the stars, the Milky Way galaxy and realize this has to be placed there by a very powerful uh, creator and how he designed it all uh, tells us he's not only powerful, he's incredibly intelligent uh, and he's very caring. Look at all he did 
to make possible a home for us human beings. And, you know, we look at our sin and say, you know, we can't stop from disobeying what God wants us to do. What human has ever been able to live up to the conscience, the law that God has written in our hearts? But as we look up at the heavens, we realize there is a God behind it all who is so powerful, so loving, and so wise. He must have done for us what we can't do for ourselves. And in his great love, he has provided for us what we can't provide for ourselves. And as Job said in the 19th chapter, before scripture was even available, is that he looked at nature and says, I know that my redeemer lives. And I'll see him on the last day. He knew that God would do for him what he couldn't do for himself because of the majesty and the love and the power that he saw in God's creation. And so this is something available to all humans, which is why I think God gave us a planet with a transparent atmosphere where we could look beyond our planet and see everything that God has done to make possible, not just our existence, but for us to really thrive and really experience. Uh, the love, uh, you know, a loving being, a God who had love. We worship a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They were in a loving relationship with one another. And so Christianity alone answers the question, where does love come from? Uh, You know, we experience love is because the creator himself had love before he created anything at all. Any words? It's so precious to know that, um, well, I can look up just like you can, and we can say, for I know that I know that I know that my Redeemer liveth. If any listeners are interested in um, following our thread a little more, there is a book, Hugh, which of course you know well, God and Galileo, again, co-authored by Professor Kenneth Freeman, who's one of the pioneers on dark matter. And this, this little book, explores the harmony between the book of nature and the book of scripture. And there's a great harmony, as was pointed out by the genius Galileo Galilei. And it's a harmony which we continue to see as these uh, larger earthbound telescopes and of course, larger space telescopes are actually uh, in orbit at various points above the earth. But Hugh, I'd love to just wrap up and end, if I may, and then have you conclude with this little picture. Because to me, this sums up John 3.16 in a nutshell. Um, It's looking up. It's a father and a son looking up at the uh, full moon. And there's no sense of a mobile phone nearby. There's no sense of social media interrupting you on Facebook. There's just a stillness about this image. The trees motionless, there's no wind, the moon is rising, and the father has his left hand lifted up and he's holding the arm of his little son, the hand of his little son. And to me, This is the universe, Hugh, and I'd love your concluding thoughts here, is that the universe is framed. It's actually framed. It's contained by and within the very hand of God. And to me, in this image, 
on the one hand, I see the astrophysics, but on the other hand, Hugh, I see the human touch. And is this not the, the point of the gospel? The human touch of the creator touching his creation. I'd love your concluding thoughts. Well, I also see the beauty. I mean, this, this has an incredible impact anyone who looks at it, just realizing the beauty of the tree, the father, the sun, the background moon that you see there. And we see this everywhere within God's creation. I mean, you're not just an astronomer, you're also a mathematician. I mean, those mathematical equations have an elegance and a beauty to them. You know, I think that's why everybody needs to study some form of calculus, just to see the incredible beauty that uh, God has brought in uh, to these equations that describe our physical realm. No matter, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God, every component of the heavens, every subcomponent also declares the glory of God. As you see in this picture, the moon is just one tiny piece of the heavens, but it mm -hmm. declares the glory of God. And I don't know of any astronomer who's not awestruck by what they see out there, but the question is, why are you feeling that awe? Why are you feeling that sense of the incredible beauty and elegance? There's a reason for it. And doesn't that point you to a creator uh, who imbues beauty and elegance and joy and love? And I don't know about you, uh, David, but I've run into so many astronomers who are just captivated by their astronomical research, but captivated to such a degree that they become almost addicted to the research and therefore uh -huh. don't take the time to think, you know, why is the universe the way it is? And uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I've even run into astronomers and I say, look, you're in your 50s. Have you ever thought about death? No, I I'm just too focused and excited on my astronomical research. Have you ever thought about what's going to happen after you die? No, I don't think about those things. Mm. Have you ever thought about what's beyond the universe? No, I'm just so fascinated by what I'm studying. And that to me is the principle of the Sabbath. You know, we're to work six days and take that seventh day to focus on the most important issues of life. But as it tells us in scripture, that creation reveals God and his attributes, but it mm. also can be an idol where it distracts us from the most important issues of life. God yes. created all this to drive us to those most important questions. And to me, that's the principle of the Sabbath. No matter how fascinated you are by your work or compelled by your work, take regular time off to really focus on the most important issues of life. That's so powerful, Hugh. And it also reminds me as we wrap up of the importance, as you've suggested, of hearing the still small voice of God. I never read in the Gospels that Jesus shouts to anyone. It's a still small voice. And right. I think that's the wonder of observing with some of the world's big telescopes in Hawaii. And I look forward to being so looking forward to being with you and then to traveling again to Hawaii. But the point is, we have to draw aside from the bombardment, do we not, of the interface of the mobile phone. Uh, when I tell people, look up at the skies, as you've already said, they can barely see the brighter planets, let alone the stars, as you've beautifully said. But when you really want to, if you really want to, 
understand part of the mind of God, you have to hear his voice. And you have to remember, don't you, Hugh, that it's a still, small voice. Unless you take the time, you'll never really be able to look up in awe and wonder. Hello, Jeff Zwerink here. Welcome back to Science Faith Connection, the segment of our show where we explore important scientific ideas and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today, I'm excited to be joined in studio by astronomer Dr. David Block, and we're going to be talking about what it means to be a Christian in academia. Mm. David, it's really good to have you here on the show today. Well, it's wonderful to have flown all the way from Johannesburg <laughs> nice. in South <laughs> Africa. <laughs> it is uh, good. So give, give us a little background. Where, where do you work and what sort of astronomy so very, do you do? Uh, very good. So I'm a professor of cosmic dust, the <laughs> nice. stuff of which you and I are made. I'm an emeritus professor at the University of the Witwatersrand, which is quite a mouthful. It is, yes. In Johannesburg. <laughs> in South Africa. I've been there for some 35 to 40 years. Nice. That's very good. So there's this perception that being a Christian and being in scientific academia is hard. Have you found anything about academia that has been in conflict with your Christian faith? Not so much in conflict, but in terms of persecution. And allow me to explain. My research has twice been featured on the cover of Nature, okay. which, as you know, is the world's most prestigious scientific journal. And the University of the Witwatersrand became very proud of the fact that I was the only scientist in Africa whose work has appeared on the cover twice. And so a couple of years went by, they used my image in Time magazine, and they were thrilled. He has an astronomer whose research is being featured on the, world, on the mm -hmm. cover of the world's greatest journals. And then I had a surprise visit, if you like, from our deputy vice chancellor of research. So that's going right to the mm -hmm. upper echelons, the chancellor, and then, of course, your vice chancellor. And she came to visit me. And at first, Jeff, it seemed like a very innocuous, innocent type of meeting. Oh, David, we're so excited mm -hmm. with all the cutting-edge research you're doing. And it's amazing how you're able to lead teams from Harvard and elsewhere. And, you know, the praises were flowing. And, but I suspected mm -hmm. that something might be adrift. Okay. It was just a little nudge in my spirit that something might be adrift to Jeff. And then she turned to me and looked me in the eye. I can never forget this. This was in my office. And she said to me, but could you please shut up about God? Hmm. And it was, I was taken and turned stone cold. Okay. Could you please shut up about God? In other words, everyone was aware most people were of my Christian standing as mm -hmm. well. And that was the knife edge coming towards me. Will you please shut up about God? And so I turned to her. And I said to you, said to her, could you please tell me, what's the name of your favorite book? Mm -hmm. Mine's the Bible, but what's the name of your favorite book 
which book are you reading at the moment? Oh, she said, alongside my bedside is The uh, God Delusion by Richard Dawkins. Mm -hmm. And so we left parting that day in a sort of a muted kind of state. Mm -hmm. I would not shut up and never have about God. And she was intent on promoting um, atheism by means, or scientism, by means of the God delusion. So that was a very personal encounter, mm -hmm. showing me where the hierarchy sort of stood with regard to this crazy astronomer, crazy in the sense that he's a scientist uh, and a creative scientist, but who's professing a faith not only in God, but as a Jew mm -hmm. in Jesus of Nazareth. I mean, it's too much. Uh, she was Jewish, as I recall. It's just too much for the academic mind to often process, Jeff. So it does. I mean, your story kind of mirrors kind of the popular narrative that science is antagonistic towards the Christian faith. You know, in this sense, it seems like you and you've encountered people who are very much antagonistic. I mean, I have, you know, and also in Cape Town, we have some large observatories in the mm -hmm. Cape. And I've sensed I don't need to spend more than 10 seconds with a person. And I can sense animosity. Hmm. I'll never forget many, many, many years ago as a young astronomer, my dream was to become a member of the American, one of the American associations. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was the Astro International Astronomical Union, in fact. Okay. And I tried through the normal South African channels to become a member of the IAU. Nothing worked. Hmm. Nothing worked. There was something more because I had all the academic publications, right. but there was something more. They hated, they detested my Christianity to Jeff. They could not tolerate it. They wouldn't say it on paper, but suddenly there were letters appearing in my mailbox. No, we hmm. cannot promote you as a member of the IAU, even though I was elected a fellow of the Royal Astronomical Society at the age of 19. Mm -hmm. And so eventually... I said, blow this. And I appealed to Vera Rubin, one of America's greatest mm -hmm. astronomers, as you know. And she proposed me as a member of the IAU. Again, showing you the kind of opposition, if not right in your face, indirectly mm -hmm. with regard to being a creative astronomer and scientist, but refusing to shut up about Jesus. So it sounds like you've encountered people who are very much antagonistic yes. towards your faith. You've encountered people who, as you do good science, say, hey, yeah, this person ought to get promoted. Yes. Um, yeah, that's, that's very representative of how I, some people yes. have been upset yes. that I'm a Christian. Other yes. people have like, hey, yes. that's great. Keep doing good yes. science. Yes. Do you find anything about studying science itself that is antagonistic towards your Christian faith? Oh, no. There I see the greatest harmony. I mean, my book with Ken Freeman, God and Galileo. The more I study the wonders of the cosmos, Jeff, the more I'm enthralled mm -hmm. with the creator and his mind and his mindset <laughs> and his enthusiasm in theos, you know, in God. Um, I've never, I mean, the latest image, images from the James Webb Space Telescope you know, I stand in awe and wonder mm -hmm. and at their latest discoveries. I've never discovered anything 
in regard uh, with regard to science which says now dave you're on the wrong track spiritually i've always seen the greatest harmony but i want to say this jeff is that science per se doesn't uh, lead me into a deeper walk with god in the sense that science per se leads me to understand the heavens declare the glory of God and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. But it's his spirit, it's his spirit which I need in my heart to really comfort me, to be with me as a Jew. The mm -hmm. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the heavens proclaim the glory of God, but I've always said I see two books, mm -hmm. your revelation, the book of astronomy and the book of nature, and then the book of scripture. You know, I, I, I wholeheartedly concur with what you're saying. Yes. I found that studying science yes. is just like, oh, God is so much bigger, yes. more majestic, exactly. more awesome. Exactly. If you could, just in, in our closing minutes here, mm. what is one particular discovery or is there something scientific that's like, oh, that is just the one or one mm. thing that really reminds you, mm. hey, God is who he says mm. he is? You know, in Isaiah, I love that question. In Isaiah 42, God said, I will give you the treasures of darkness. I will give you the treasures of darkness. And I'll never forget working at the Monarchia Observatories. And we were using some of the early NICMOS arrays. Mm -hmm. And they were just these infrared arrays. And suddenly on the screens appeared cosmic dust. And I was just excited beyond measure because I know that if I pinch myself, I'm feeling the stuff I'm made of, the stuff cooked in the veritable interiors of stars. And when I saw that image, I thought to myself, this is it. It's a promise. It's a result of what God had said to me. I will give you the treasures of darkness. And in closing, isn't it wonderful that he guides your research, Jeff, and he guides my research? He's not only interested in us as spiritual beings, but he's intimately involved in the daily walks we undertake at our research desks. I couldn't agree more, and I really do appreciate your comments, David. Thank you. You know, it is the case a lot of people think studying science is antagonistic towards the Christian faith. And as David said, you're going to encounter people who do not like the fact that you're a Christian. But nothing about science itself is antagonistic towards Christianity. You know, if you found what David's had to say, I just love the passion and excitement he has in studying science and revealing who the creator is. Go to reasons.org and look for David Block's webpage there, David Block. Search that. You'll get some great resources that help you see how this man has studied the, cre studied the creation and found great evidence that God is who he says he is. We hope this episode of 2019 has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. You know, I really enjoyed hearing from David Block and just, mm -hmm. I, I mean, he has such a vast wealth of knowledge when yeah. it comes to God, when it comes to the cosmos, when it mm -hmm. comes to just really understanding um, not only our faith, but how we look at science and um, really explore that from a Christian perspective. Yeah, and personally, I thought for everyday apologetics, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, putting two astrophysicists together was going to be this like very, you know, technical and difficult to understand conversation, but they're both so good at explaining in a way that we can all understand. Yeah, good mm -hmm. stuff. Well, if you want to continue seeing some of this good stuff, be sure to find us on YouTube, subscribe to the Reasons to Believe channel and then also search for us on facebook twitter and instagram we are at 2819 show and if you like the audio version of the show you can find us on your favorite podcast app just search reasons to believe podcast see you next week see ya